You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Oh boy, that Nancy Reagan stamp. June 1st, this year, the first day of Pride Month, Jill Biden presided over a ceremony at the White House to unveil a stamp, a U.S. postage stamp, honoring former First Lady Nancy Reagan. For my younger listeners, Nancy Reagan was the First Lady of the United States in the 1980s. She was married to this guy, Ronald Reagan, former governor of California, former B-movie star who was president of the United States from January of 1981 to January of 1989. And Nancy Reagan was useless when she wasn't malevolent, as was her husband. During the AIDS crisis in particular, they were worse than useless. They were harmful. They stood by and did nothing while tens of thousands of gay and bi men died and the human immunodeficiency virus spread. Their inaction made the AIDS crisis incalculably worse and cost hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people all over the world, gay and straight, their lives. Most infamously, when Rock Hudson was dying of HIV AIDS, he was a movie star, a supporter of the Reagans, a close personal friend of Nancy Reagan's. When he was dying of AIDS... Nancy Reagan famously refused or infamously refused to help him. It was 1985, more than 5,000 Americans had already died, but Nancy Reagan didn't want to, quote, get into it. It would be two more years before the Reagans decided to get into it and do something about HIV AIDS. Anyway, a lot of gay people out there thought it was a little tone deaf of the Biden administration to honor Nancy Reagan on the first day of Pride Month. And for the record, the Biden administration didn't decide to issue a stamp honoring Nancy fucking Reagan. The U.S. Postal Service did that. But maybe the Biden administration could have moved the unveiling up a day or pushed it off into July. On the other hand, you know, there is an argument you could make for honoring Nancy Reagan during Pride Month, I guess. They don't call her the throat goat for nothing. As Vice noted in 2021, an unauthorized biography of Nancy Reagan published in 1992 noted that Nancy was, quote, renowned in Hollywood for performing oral sex. Vice goes on, that was one of the reasons Nancy Reagan was so popular on the MGM lot. So, gay men, turns out we had one thing in common with Nancy Reagan back then, and none of us knew it. And what we had in common with her wasn't access to the MGM lot. And if any of you out there have ever wondered why some people who want to be cured of their gag reflexes bury statues of Nancy Reagan upside down in their front yards, now you know. Seems to me, though, that instead of complaining or continuing to complain about what the Biden administration did on the first day of Pride Month this year, that horrible Nancy Reagan stamp unveiling ceremony with Jill Biden, we could come up with some ideas, some suggestions for things they could do on the first day of Pride Month next year. Something they could issue on the first day of Pride Month next year. I'll go first. I have an idea. A literal $3 bill. But who to put on it? Harvey Milk, Bayard Rustin, Frank Kameny, Storm De La Vera, Sylvia Rivera, Del Martin, and Phyllis Liam. Lots of good candidates out there. But for my money, 
you can't go wrong with putting a founding father in a powdered wig on your money, at least to help people get used to the idea of seeing queers on their money. And there's actually someone who maybe should be on our money already and perhaps would be if the contributions of gays and lesbians and trans and bi people weren't systematically erased from the historical record. Baron Friedrich von Steuben. He was a Prussian nobleman who may or may not have been dismissed from the Prussian military for being gay. George Washington and Ben Franklin didn't have a problem with that. They worked hard to recruit Baron Friedrich von Steuben to convince him to come over and help whip the Continental Army into shape, which is just what he did. Quoting from History.com, when von Steuben arrived in camp, he was appalled by the conditions soldiers had been fighting under and immediately set to work drilling soldiers with strict Prussian techniques. And when he wasn't drilling soldiers, Baron von Steuben actually socialized with his troops. He was very popular. His aides, who included Alexander Hamilton of Hamilton fame, his aides invited a number of young officers to dine at his quarters on condition that none should be admitted that were wearing a whole pair of breeches. After the war, von Steuben moved to a rural estate in New York where he lived in what today we would call a polytriad with his two boyfriends, both adult men he fought alongside during the Revolutionary War, both men devoted to him. Von Steuben isn't entirely forgotten. The city of Steubenville, Ohio is named for him, but I don't think the 18,000 people who live in Steubenville, city of murals, know their town is named after a famous Revolutionary War general who happened to be gay. Steubenville right now is represented in Congress by Republican Bill Johnson, who opposes same-sex marriage even still. Anyway, Joe Biden can make this whole issuing a stamp with Nancy Reagan on it the first day of Pride, make that thing up to us by issuing a $3 bill with Baron von Steuben on it the first day of Pride next year. That's my suggestion. Maybe you have a suggestion of your own. Maybe you've got a better idea than a $3 bill with Baron von Steuben on it. Tweet it at me, at Fake Dan Savage on Twitter. All right, coming up on the show, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And joining us on the Magnum, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, star of television, star of Broadway. He is here. We talk about Broadway, queer coding, Taylor Swift, how he knows her, Pride and Prejudice, Marriage Equality, and Jesse Tyler Ferguson sticks around to give a little sex advice to my listeners. All that coming up on today's show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Keep your balls smooth while looking and feeling their best. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOVECAST. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. 34-year-old cisgender female West Coast. My question today is about cam girls. My boyfriend, whom I love and adore, um, we've been dating for about a year. Serious relationship. He loves and adores me. But he 
also loves and adores cam girls. He watches girls together on Chatterbait, making out and doing all kinds of other stuff. And I knew this from the beginning of our relationship, and I accept it and try to support it. But in my mind, lately, it's become sort of an obsession with cam girls. That's my definition, not his. He's watching cam girls while he's working. He's watching cam girls while he and I are together. And yesterday, he chose to masturbate and watch cam girls instead of being with me. And I put on his favorite outfit and everything. Anyways, it was humiliating and my feelings were hurt and I got upset. He defended himself and he said he's free to masturbate to whatever. And I agree with that. And he, at the end of the conversation, he said, I've done nothing wrong. And I said, well, then why do I feel this way? And he said, because you're jealous. And that really got me even more riled up because then suddenly it was my fault. And I don't, I don't feel like I'm in the wrong here. I feel like I'm actually pretty reasonable. I don't want to feel this way. And I don't want to restrict him. And I, I do believe that he should be free to masturbate to whatever he wants. So I was wondering if you have any advice for me in getting around this or like communicating in a way that is more reasonable. I agree that you shouldn't restrict this guy. I think he needs and deserves complete freedom the kind of complete freedom, including the freedom from having to take anyone else's feelings into consideration, that comes with being single and alone. Yeah, dump the motherfucker already. He has a problem. While I reject the porn addiction model, I don't think people can become chemically addicted to porn. Some people do have a problem. They are not moderate in their consumption of pornography. And in this case, in your boyfriend's case, he is not capable of taking your feelings into consideration, which is something someone with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or an NB friend needs to be capable of doing. I masturbate, my husband masturbates, my boyfriend, everybody masturbates. But, you know, if my husband and I weren't getting along at the moment and we weren't connecting sexually, it would be tremendously inconsiderate if he just popped open his laptop and had a wank at the dining room table while we were hashing something out. Yeah, he's free to masturbate when and where he chooses, but he has an obligation to me to be considerate, to be sensitive to my feelings, to not maliciously or carelessly run roughshod over my feelings. And if we weren't connecting, it would be inconsiderate of him to pick that particular moment, not just to, you know, sneak off quietly and have a wank to clear his head or help him go to sleep, but to have a wank in front of me to choose camboys in his case, or the internet or internet porn at that moment over me. And that's what your boyfriend did. He rubbed your fucking nose in it. Watch his cam girls all the time, watches them while he works, watches them when he's with you. You've only been with this motherfucker a year. Hopefully you haven't signed a lease. Hopefully you haven't scrambled your DNA together. Hopefully you haven't, you aren't wearing a ring. There's no engagement. Get the fuck away from this asshole. 
you deserve better. You are the kind of girlfriend, patient, indulgent, understanding, that any guy would be lucky to have. And that this particular guy, the guy you're with now, does not deserve. Hi, Dan. I'm a woman in my late 20s. I'm seeing a man who I met just before the pandemic, just as I was learning and exploring the world of polyamory. He and his wife were in an open marriage. They decided to open up because she wanted to explore her sexuality. Over the past year, we did take some space from each other because I was not in an emotional place to be in a relationship with him at the time. But we have since reconnected a couple months ago, and he told me that his wife and he are getting a divorce because she has since learned that she is a full-on lesbian, which she is very much supportive of. They have every intention to continue to be in each other's lives, which I am very happy about. But the problem is that their being divorced is more threatening to me than when they were married. It feels like I'm feeling more insecure and more jealous than I ever did before. Even though I know jealousy and its insecurity are normal parts of relationships, but I also recognize that this is a very emotionally tumultuous time in their lives. A divorce is a huge life change. They're still figuring out their new dynamic. And I also feel uncomfortable with how I feel. Like I feel very intensely towards this man. I like him way more than I'm comfortable with, honestly, which is no surprise because he is wonderful and he is kind and he is communicative and there's no problems with our relationship. But my question to you is whether I should step back and take some space for my own self-esteem and because of the fact that this time in their lives is so already filled with emotional moving parts or whether I'm just being a big baby about vulnerability and I should continue to see this man who I like very much. If you need to step back, you should step back. You don't need my permission to step back. You don't need his permission to step back. If that's what you need, do it. Step back. But I don't think it's about giving them space. I think it's about giving yourself space. You're anxious about their divorce and The divorce, as you describe it, sounds amicable, and amicable usually means drama-free, so the only drama that's being created here is you. You're creating the drama. You're anxious about their divorce, and you need to ask yourself why. I suspect it's because you don't want to be or never wanted to be this guy's primary partner, and you were comfortable dating him because he had a primary partner, and so that part was taken. That role was filled. Well, that part ain't taken anymore. That role is open. And I think that may be why you're nervous and scared because he may now want you or be able to want you or expect that he can have you in a way that you don't want to be wanted and you don't want to be had. Getting some clarity from him about his intentions or wants now that he is no longer primarily partnered might set you at ease Still, if you need to step back while you get that clarity, while you have those conversations with him, you totally can and you totally should. If he's been relying on you too much in the wake of the divorce, if he's over at your place all the time in a way he didn't used to be before, if he's expecting more emotional labor from you than you signed up for when he had a primary partner who did most of the emotional labor, definitely step back while you get some clarity. But be on your guard. You need to get clarity yourself first before you ask him for clarity because egos 
are a weird thing. You may go to him and say, look, I signed up to be a secondary partner. You had a wife. I don't want to be a primary partner. What is it that you want from me? And he may tell you, hey, look, I'm not looking for a new primary partner. I want to keep things casual. I even want to date other people. And you weren't somebody I was really thinking of as a potential primary partner. And your ego may rush into that space and be like, ah, even though it's kind of what you wanted to hear and kind of what you needed to hear, it might be hurtful to hear that. I didn't want to be your primary partner, but uh, some part of you, some part of your ego may want him to want you in that way, even if you don't want to be wanted in that way yourself, or you're not available to him in that way. So just think it through, get clarity yourself while you take some space, take some time about what it is you want, get your ego in check, and then ask him what his expectations are of you now that he is divorcing his former primary partner. Good luck. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later. Hey, Dan, 51-year-old bi cis male on the East Coast here. Me and my partner of nearly nine years are on the outs, and I plan to move out of the house that we moved in together sometime in the next few months. It's in her name. I feel like I've followed the campfire rule for the most part, but one of the things that split us apart is that she has been in poor health since March and is due to have her third surgery on her leg this week. She doesn't really have a timetable for healing and being able to use both legs. Friends and relatives that I've spoken to have told me it doesn't really matter how she's doing and I should just leave as soon as possible. I feel like this would be the shittiest thing possible since she's dependent on me to get to her doctor's appointments, take her shopping, pick up things while she recovers. She does have two grown children who live with us but both have their own thing going on and I don't think they want the extra burden of caring for her. I'd like to get on with my life and have some fun before my own biological clock expires, as well as spend time with my about-to-graduate-from-high-school son who I haven't seen 
for more than a few days in three years. Do you think I should tough it out for a while longer, or is it time to cut bait? The campsite rule. Leave someone in better shape. Then you found them. Time is a meat grinder. We all fall apart in the end. At some point, we can't be left in better shape in certain ways, physical ways, because we're just collapsing. Uh, Maybe this isn't so much about the campsite rule, which is really about short-term relationships and age gap relationships and whatever else, but it should be about all relationships. Lead everybody in better shape than you found them. Maybe this is the stick the dismount rule. You want to stick the dismount here. When you leave someone, someone you loved for nine years, you don't want to abandon them by the side of the road. You don't want to leave them in a ditch or leave them in the lurch. I'm a little freaked out that you say one of the things that's splitting you apart is that she has been in poor health. You know, if you're with somebody and you love them and you live together and they get sick, which eventually all of us are going to sicken and die unless we have the great misfortune of being run over by a bus when we're 99 years old on our bicycle, we're all going to deteriorate and fall apart. That is not the moment that you want your partner to take one look at you and head for the exit because you can't tap dance anymore. That's when your partner, you hope, will come through for you and be there for you as you would hopefully be there for your partner at a moment like that. All that said, you're not obligated to stay with somebody once you want to leave them just because they're in poor health. If it's not a high conflict relationship, if it's not an emotionally abusive relationship, you can leave someone and still be there for them. You can love, support, and leave someone. That is possible. You can move nearby and be available to your ex-partner to run some errands, to bring some groceries, to take her to doctor's appointments. However, you say she has two grown-ass children who live with her, and this may be a time when they need to step up for mom and adult children who live at home being what adult children who live at home usually are. I can't imagine they've been shouldering the full expense of maintaining this household. I can't imagine these two kids are paying in more than they're benefiting to running this household. And I would, if I were you, go to those two kids and say to them, look, I'm leaving. Our relationship has run its course. It's not a great time for me to go, but I need to go. I will be available, but not as available. And you two, mooches, need to step the fuck up for your mom. It may be that as kids, they've been taken care of and never had to lift a finger around this house when their mother was in better health. And they just need to be taken by the shoulders and shaken a little bit to realize that they are now at the stage of life, particularly if they are live-at-home adult children, where they got to parent their parent a little bit, where they got to be not the cared for, but the caretakers. And this is a burden that... I think if you're a good and decent and kind person, you should be willing to bear with them, but not bear exclusively. Zooming out for a second, you know, this often comes up at the end of a relationship. It's not always, you know, when you're leaving someone, when you want to leave someone, you know, the relationship it's over. Rarely does that happen when everything is perfect in both your lives. You know, sometimes you have to leave somebody who's unemployed or depressed or whose parent just died or who is facing a health crisis. 
I wish people were better about ending relationships without having to engineer a lot of conflict to justify the end of that relationship. And, all, you know, and I wish maybe we talked about ending relationships a little different. Sometimes we ease out of a relationship instead of ending it. And it is possible to break up with somebody and still come through for them and be there for them in a different way. So, yeah, just a general point I wanted to make there. And it's not a walk I haven't walked. I walked that walk. I ended a relationship. And then like a two weeks later, the guy I broke up with came down with lymphoma. I was there at the hospital. We were exes. We joked about it that, you know, if he'd been diagnosed two weeks before we broke up instead of two weeks after, I wouldn't have been able to break up with him because only an asshole would leave somebody who just got diagnosed with cancer. But I was there for him. You can be there for her as she gets on her quote unquote feet with your help and the help of her two fucking mooch ass grown ass adult kids. Can I ask you a kind of personal question? How old is your mattress? What? Oh my God, you have got to get a new one right away. And when you do, be sure to do what I did and get yourself a Helix sleep mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. They have several different mattress models to choose from, soft, medium, and firm. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains, and even a Helix Plus for plus-sized sleepers. And bless them, they design their mattresses with sex in mind. So these mattresses can handle pretty much anything you want to try on them, anything you want to throw at them. Oh my God, if my Helix mattress could only talk. When we first got ours, we were matched with the Midnight Lux model and we love it. The only thing I dislike about traveling is leaving my mattress behind. I love, love, love how easy it was. The mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. Just go to helixsleep.com slash savage, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try out your new mattress for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you know what? You're going to love it. Helix also has financing options and flexible payment plans. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash savage. That's helixsleep.com slash savage. Hey there, 37-year-old male. I have a question for you. My wife and I, uh, we've been together for 10 years. We just had our first child. She's seven months old. And, you know, life is great. But her childbirth was uh, very complicated. And, you know, my wife has precautions from it, which she's fully healed. She's doing great. She's back to her own self. I'm very thankful for that. We got back into having sex about two months ago, and we had it two times, three times. But lately, every time I try to, like, initiate, she, not coldly, but just, like, brushes it off and then changes subjects or walks it off. She's not that interested, it seems to me. I am going to approach to her and talk to her about it. But I wanted to know if there's a possibility or suggestions that you have or how to approach this subject with her. 
she's a very vanilla person. Uh, she's one of the strongest women that I know. And the only problem is she has very insecure about her own self. And I'm not sure if approaching this would be the best subject. The second part of this question is when I approach this subject of the lack of sex, if it's completely wrong on me to try to even open the suggestions of an open marriage. Again, she's very vanilla and I've been her only sex partner for her whole life. I don't want to hurt her. I, I think we have one of the best marriages that can possibly happen. But I want to approach this subject as softly and as sensitive as possible because I don't want to hurt her. My suggestion right now is to go to her and ask her, you know, do you still want to have sex? Think about it and let me know. But I'm not sure if this is the best way to approach it. There needs to be a chapter added to what to expect when you're expecting addressing heterosexual men. Because you're not the first new dad in an opposite-sex relationship who's called with this kind of question, where the wife has recently given birth to the human that you created together, that you wanted to create together, and it's 10 minutes later and she's not coming through with the sex. What to expect when you're expecting as a new dad is you should expect to not expect much sex at least for a year that you're getting laid, that your wife is fully healed and doing great and pretty much back to her old self. And you guys started having sex five months after she went through the trauma of childbirth at your request and made a baby with you. And you're annoyed that you've only gotten to fuck her three times. My God. And now you want my advice on how to sensitively raise the topic of possibly opening the marriage? No, no. The best time to raise the subject of how much sex you're having and how annoyed you feel about it or opening the marriage is about two years from now. At the earliest, if ever. You know, when people are about to have a baby, I feel like you should get a bassinet and a bottle warmer and a flashlight for the straight guy in that relationship that he can fuck the shit out of for a while while his wife slowly recovers. This is not something that straight guys shouldn't know or have heard from other straight guys that, you know, the person who just went through the hormonal roller coaster ride of crapping out another human being for and with you is going to feel pretty awkward in their body, estranged from their body, probably not that into sex, touched out at the end of the day because they're taking care of an infant and if they're breastfeeding. Yeah, it's just you've got to be able to step back from your own needs or meet your own needs with your own right hand or your very special flashlight that is in the colors that you painted the nursery. You're going to have to take care of your own needs for a while. Guys, dudes, Jesus, fucking Christ. Yeah, I'm sick of getting this question. I get it all the time. Give your wife some time and space. It is fine, I think, to go to a partner and say, I'm not like, where's the sex? Tap, tap, tap. Look at the watch. It's been five minutes. You know, we're still in the maternity ward. The kid's still wearing the little knit hat they put on infants. Where's, can I put my dick back in? No, I think you don't say that, but you can say to someone, I'm looking forward when you're ready to, to reestablishing our sexual connection. I, I don't want you to feel pressured or hurried or rushed. And I know this is like a crazy time for you and you're touched out, but I value that. And I'm looking forward to when we can get 
that back in our relationship for us. And in the meantime, ain't it great that we put on our baby registry all these fucking flashlights that I can go jack off into until you're ready? Okay? Straight guys, I'm a faggot. I know this about childbirth. You're a straight guy who loves women. You should know this about childbirth and that obstetricians don't tell straight guys this. And there's, I should go check my copy of what to expect when you're expecting. Maybe there's a chapter on this in there, but I don't think there is. There should be. And considering the number of calls I get like this, I think it should be chapter one. And finally, as a general note, the time to raise with a vanilla-ish partner the possibility of one day having an open relationship is before you scramble your DNA together with that person. Because once you've scrambled your DNA together with that person, they're going to feel coerced into agreeing to have an open relationship with you if they can't picture parenting as a single person. Talk to your partner before you have a child about what the next decades are going to look like, the next couple of decades while you raise that child together to make sure you're on the same page about where you're going to live, about the faith you might raise that child in, but also about the relationship structure you want. And if you need or want an open relationship or anticipate that you might, that's something you talk about with somebody before you make a baby with that person because if that's not something they can see themselves wanting – they shouldn't make a baby with you and you are obligated to disclose that about yourself to someone if you know that about yourself before you make a baby with that person. PUD, poly underdress, open underdress, that is a thing that happens. It is terrible when that is a thing that happens to somebody who has a seven-month-old infant at home. And anyone who would do that to someone, you know, request an open relationship shortly after having a baby with that person – you're not being good or fair or kind or loving. It's very deeply coercive and not okay. And I say that as a person in an open relationship. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. They just relaunched the ultra smooth package complement to the lawnmower 4.0 to keep your balls smooth while looking and feeling their best. This specialized groin shaving kit is here to help you buff, protect, and shave your most sensitive areas. For all my stylish ball-having listeners, Manscaped offers the sophisticated way to keep yourself nice and neat down there. We all know how hard it is to get a close shave without ingrown hairs, cuts, or nicks, and those are hard-to-reach places. And if, like me, you're shaving someone other than yourself, you want to have the very best tools. It all starts with the lawnmower 4.0 to trim up your down there hair. Next, use the crop exfoliator infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on and around your groin feeling refreshed. The crop exfoliator can help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places. Slather up with their clear crop gel so you can see where you're shaving. Then you're ready to shave. The crop shaver was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. Three precision blades include extra-wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are included. So, your junk is in good hands 
without compromise. It's time to get up close and personal with the best tools for the job, the ultra smooth package from Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOVECAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code LOVECAST at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Hi, Dan. So I was in a relationship in college with a beautiful woman who was in a sorority, very feminine, and who came from a Persian background in which homosexuality is absolutely taboo. We were in an exclusive monogamous relationship for a year and a half during which we were violently closeted. I was completely out to my family because I had dated women before, but she was completely closeted to her family and regarded me as a best friend. I was able to sleep over at their house and things like that, but I was treated as a best friend. And it remains unclear to this day if any of her family members knew that we were together. The relationship was made more complicated financially. We, I had to support her living with me and pay rent because she couldn't pay rent to live at our college and wanted to live on campus. So there were a lot of complicated factors that led to a situation in which I wanted to get out of a relationship with someone I suspected was actually straight, but who I was living with and had a lot of complicated dynamics about homophobia with. And so it led to me making the unwise decision to cheat on her with an actual lesbian, a close friend who I remain together with to this day. Fast forward to today, 11 years later, I'm still with the woman that I essentially cheated on her with, but I have completely made up with my ex and we consider each other to be very close, if not best friends to this day. We talk on the phone every three days or so. And now at 11 years since her and my relationship ended, she invited me to her wedding where she's marrying a man and did not include my partner's name on the invitation. So because we have a really honest and open line of communication now, I asked her if my partner was invited and she said, yes, Dan, do we go to this wedding? And if we go to this wedding together as an out lesbian couple where the culture and the family not only don't accept homosexuality in general, but certainly probably don't want to know that me and their daughter were together. And if we go, how do we be respectful to the family and to the culture? I truly am so happy for my ex. I would never have wanted her to be unhappy. And I'm grateful that she's in the kind of relationship I think she always wanted. And my partner feels the same way. And we just want to be supportive and loving. You know how I know that your ex-partner isn't a lesbian? She didn't go to your wedding. She didn't come to your wedding. Lesbians go to the weddings of their former partners. Lesbians officiate the weddings of their former partners. As for your former girlfriend's upcoming wedding that she says that you and your wife are both invited to, take her at her word. Go to the fucking wedding that you used to live with this woman at college. You're making a big leap here that her family is going to connect a lot of dots in their case and assume that since you're a lesbian and you used to live with their daughter, that that means their daughter was in a relationship with you. No, they're going to think their adult straight daughter had a roommate at college who was a lesbian. And isn't that crazy? They're not going to think, oh, she was eating your pussy in college or not, depending on how that went down. Doesn't sound like a lot of going down went down in that relationship. So 
I would, if I were you, go to the wedding, take the wife, be polite and respectful. You don't have to be closeted. If your ex-girlfriend's family couldn't handle your presence, if the presence of queer people at the wedding as guests would ruin the day or destroy the wedding or freak out her mother, give her father a heart attack, then it was her responsibility not to invite you and the wife at all. But since she invited you and the wife, yeah, go, go, enjoy the wedding. Be the lesbians that you are. And lesbians go to their ex-girlfriend's weddings and Usually, my experience officiate them. Hi, Dan. Gay male in his 30s. I'd like to get your opinion on something that my friends and I have debated regarding pictures of your ex on Instagram. Backstory, I was with my ex for about three years, and we have now been broken up for over a year. Although the breakup was hard emotionally and threw me, we ended on good terms and still maintain contact and grab drinks every now and then. So there's absolutely no bad blood. Now, on my Instagram, I have pictures from the three years that we were together. Some just fun pics, other more couple and some of us kissing. Now, my friends are in two camps with this. Some have just told me I need to delete all pics of him, as it looks like two potential dates that I'm not over him or the relationship. Others have said it's okay to keep some, but I should delete the most intimate ones, especially you know, the kissing or couple looking ones. Now, I have taken the approach, largely from your advice that I've been listening to for over five years now, that even though the relationship ended, it was still successful, and I want to remember that chapter of my life as he was my first love, and it was a very happy time in my life. And I think Instagram should be chapters of my life. Also, I feel, as you have said many times, that it would show potential dates as a positive sign that I still have a good relationship with my ex in that there's no bad blood or hate each other. Now, my ex really wasn't that big on Instagram, so there's not a lot of picture of us on his, uh, but there still are some of us on his, but not as many as there are mine or intimate. I don't think you should have to delete pics of you with your ex from your Instagram. And I agree that it demonstrates something good about you, that you're on good terms with your ex, you're still friends with your ex. You didn't have the kind of, although it hurt, it was painful, it was sad, you didn't have the kind of breakup where you felt like you had to burn everything, throw everything away, delete all evidence of the relationship. And yeah, I think that demonstrates high emotional IQ, good emotional IQ. That is certainly something that if I were single, I would look for in a person. You know, that they're on good terms with their exes and maybe their exes were still on their Instagram. But you know what else I would look for in somebody that I was thinking about dating? The kind of sensitivity and high emotional IQ demonstrated by, you know, even if you were going to keep pictures of you two making out, that maybe those were pictures you didn't keep currently up on your Instagram. Because although they represented who you were to at that time, they don't really represent who you are now. And I would never want to be in a relationship with somebody who was angry that I, you know, grabbed drinks with an ex or still sometimes chatted with an ex. But I could understand the feelings of a boyfriend that I might be with who was uncomfortable, you know, the sort of pre-social media version of those pictures of you kissing your ex. If he had framed photographs of him and his ex on the wall in his living room of them kissing or them on a very romantic vacation together or wedding photos 
on display in the apartment, you know, after the divorce. That would seem a little odd. It would seem insensitive to me, my feelings. So it's a balance you want to strike between not having to memory hole your ex, not having to pretend you've never been in a relationship before, not having to downplay that this person was important to you and that they still are a part of your life and not wanting to rub somebody you've just met, not wanting to rub their nose in, you know, how strong your feelings were for this person once upon a time. So I think I agree with your friends partly. You don't have to delete every photo of your ex, but the photos of you and your ex making out, the photos of you guys kissing or cuddling in a way that's very boyfriendly, maybe those are photos that you keep and cherish and save on your phone, but not on your Instagram. All right, before we get to this week's listener feedback calls, Let's read some listener tweets. Jeff Bergstrom tweets, Magnum subs implies the existence of Magnum doms. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. We have a lot of Magnum subs around here, Jeff, but only one Magnum dom, and that would be Nancy. Yen Yaps tweets, I know a ton of Christian girls from North Olmsted who loved their church's lock-ins around the same time that youth pastor in North Olmsted was sexually assaulting that child you talked about at the top of the Savage Lovecast. I hope those women I knew were okay. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. Yeah, an overnight lock-in at church with movies and snacks and friends sounds like fun unless you're the 14-year-old girl your youth pastor mistakes for his wife in the middle of the night. And about that same intro, Michelle wrote to me on Instagram to say, can we not refer to the sexual assault of a minor as fucking Dan? She was assaulted, not fucked. I did use the word rape later in the intro to describe what David Walker and his wife did to that kid. But Michelle is right. I should have used rape or sexual assault throughout. And finally, rebooting Billy tweets, one of the things you forgot to mention in your discussion of CNC is a safe word. My Dom and I had a CNC agreement for four years. I only ever used our safe word once. Did I leave safe words out of that discussion of consensual non-consent play? Basically, CNC involves two people in a DS relationship agreeing in advance that the Dom can go for it even if the sub resists, even if the sub says no, but that same sub, that same Dom should agree on a safe word and everything should stop if the sub says that word. Okay, thank you to everybody who tweeted about the show this week. Thank you to everybody who posted to all your different social media accounts about the Savage Lovecast last week. We really appreciate how you help spread the word about the show. And if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now, listener comments. Hey, Dan. This is for the lady in episode 814 who was on the verge of considering to get a divorce from her husband and she loves her kids but she's been in a sexless marriage for about nine years or so your advice was spot on but i would just like to caution both people in the relationship especially the man to love your children more than you dislike each other. It's just not a good idea to 
involve your children directly in the bad parts of your relationship and don't make the mistake of bad-mouthing one another in front of your children. Just whatever you do throughout this process, remember to love your children more than you dislike each other right now. Hi, I am calling in response to episode 814 about the caller who's into CNC and wants to try it with her boyfriend and if only she could just stop wringing her hands about it. Um, and I wanted to offer my experience with it and some uh, ideas about what to try. My boyfriend and I had been talking about trying a little CNC, trying a little bit of like, let me molest you while you're sleeping kind of play for a while. We were both clearly into it. We had gotten verbal consent. And then we went camping. And he didn't actually ever wake up. I told him about it in the morning, how I had played with him and how I had sucked him off a little bit and um, like really felt him up a bunch. And it was super hot. And we were both really hot about it. He was really hot hearing about it afterwards because he didn't fully wake up. It was super fun. I think having a change of scene out of the usual place, go on a vacation, go camping, go somewhere out of town. So just my experience with it. It's super fun. It's super hot. Yes is yes. You've already said yes. You can change your mind, but you already said yes. It's fine. Go for it. Hey, Dan. This is a comment on last week's show in regards to a woman who was fretting about giving her boyfriend a blowjob while he was asleep. Now, I've been married for a long number of years. And my husband has told me that when he wakes up to his dick in my mouth, it is his fucking favorite thing in the world. So, with fretting, you know, if you know he's got a big thing going on in the morning, you don't do it that more that night. Otherwise, soft plastic dick in your mouth, get it hard while he's sleeping. Well, thank you so much. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. The Hump 2022 Spring Tour is over, which means it's time for everyone to start thinking about and working on your films for submitting to Hump 2023. Submissions are open now through December 9th, so now is the perfect time for you and your best friend slash lover slash life partner slash polycules slash magnum sub or magnum dom to start thinking about the dirty porn flick you want to make and submit to Hump. Hump films can be hardcore, softcore, erotica, live action, animation, mini documentaries, all genders, all sexual orientations, all kinks, and all of the many and wonderful variations on vanilla. Welcome at Hump. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit for all the info you need to star in next year's Hump Film Festival. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Listen to Jesse Tyler Ferguson narrate Gay Pride and Prejudice right now on Spotify. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.